0: Well, hello. This is episode 25, season one, and I'm your host, Mark Bernstein. Welcome to Podfulness. My voice does not sound good, does it? I wish I could say I was at a concert last night, screaming at the top of my lungs, but I wasn't. I'm just getting over COVID, as a matter of fact. I went three years and protected myself. Then, one trip to Philadelphia, and I catch it. The city of brotherly love. Whatever and now it has affected my voice. So enjoy this voice for the next half hour. I am sorry. Usually during this episode opener, I like to goof around and be kind of silly and dry and sarcastic, but today is going to be a little different. For the last two decades of my life, I have been raising my children and I've loved every minute of it. I've loved, loved, loved being a dad to two toddlers, then adolescents. Uh, then school age, then teenagers, and even though I'm still a dad to two wonderful boys, they don't need me the way they used to. They don't require that intense time commitment. Some parents, once their kids grow up, feel like they finally get their freedom back, and they are so joyful, but not me. I feel like I lost something because I lost my favorite hobby. So I mention this for two reasons. Reason number one, I need a new hobby. And that's why I started this podcast because it's given me something to focus my time and creative energy on. And I have really enjoyed it. The second reason I tell you this is because if you are a parent with children who still live in the house, don't take that for granted. I know parenthood is long days and short years, but boy, do I miss it. And I hope you can take a moment to realize how special it is being a parent. And maybe you can give your kids an extra big hug when you see them today, even if it embarrasses them, because deep down inside, they love it.
1: Hello
0: and welcome to to another episode of Apocalypse. Let's get started. You are about to listen to an interview with Matt Bellis. I just wrapped it up. We just hung up. And Matt is someone that I met a long time ago. Oh, two decades, two and a half decades ago. We were in the same industry. And I went out to New York once in the early 2000s. It was my first trip. Maybe it was my second trip. And I was looking for a place to stay. And Matt said, you can stay at my apartment. My wife and I are going to be gone. And this was before kids. And I didn't even know him that well. But he allowed me to stay in his apartment in New York City. It was a great location, and that's just something I've never forgotten. That was so very generous and unexpected, uh, and that's just kind of the guy he is. He's very, very bright, as you will tell. He's written books. He's been on TV. He speaks to young people. He cares about people. He's all about mental health and taking care of your uh, mental wellness, and we just had a fun conversation because we talked about his favorite podcast, which also happens to be my current favorite. I don't miss an episode, and I'm really into the subject that's being talked about on the show. So what do you say? Let's listen to me and Matt talk about Fly on the Wall. Let's get to it. We are with Matt Bellis right now. Matt and I have known each other for a long time. And Matt, do you remember when I came to New York City? Of
1: course. And we went
0: And we went to see Letterman
1: yeah, it's freezing cold in there too. I, I still oh, cool. remember how cold it was. Do you remember who the guest was? Oh man. Was it Christian Slater? I no, I, I wish.
0: No, who I was not. It? I can't for some reason I can't remember her name. Was it Marcia Cross? She was on Melrose Place and she pulled. Remember there was that scene where she pulled back her wig and revealed that she was bald on the I, TV show? No, I
1: don't remember any of this. Like I, I you lost me at the the C. You, know? you got <laughs> yeah. Cross, I got Christian Slater. I <laughs> Man, well, and I'm an either. indie
0: boy, so it was a thrill to be able to see
1: Letterman live. Yeah, so, that's... Matt, tell us about
0: yourself. Give us the 60 second bio on Matt
1: Bellis. So, I'm a clinical psychologist and a stand up comedian. Mm. Weird combination. I totally get it. Uh, one time, I got a call from a TV producer who said, "We need a psychologist who's funny, and you appear to be the only one." Oh. Like, <laughs> uh, thanks. Um, that actually, that interview got me a gig uh, on a show called World's Dumbest on True TV, huh. which was fun to do for a few years, but my main work is uh, speaking on stage to students, to adults about coping with stress and anxiety. And I use comedy to get my message across post-pandemic. It's a lot of mental health struggles. I talk about substance abuse prevention. And I've been doing this, as you know, Mark, for a long time, full time since 06, before I had all this gray hair, mm-hmm. right? And uh, it is amazing. To you wear watch. it well, though. You wear it well. Oh, well, I appreciate yeah. that. I, li- I like what you have there, too, in the beard. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. What's amazing is that I, when I was younger, I thought like, like I would. that's the best version of me because I was the youngest. I was closest in age to the audiences, especially the students. Mm-hmm. And now when I get older, I'll be irrelevant and i would get worse. And I realized over time, no, it's, it's not really about that. It's about your style. And I think my style now is is better. My use of humor is, I guess, more natural. And, uh, you know, I just think I'm a, a stronger performer yeah. in many ways. So I, I still love the work. Well, and you're reinventing yourself because
0: you now specialize more in mental health as opposed to drug abuse. Um, tell me about this clinical neuropsychologist. Like, I'm not sure I knew that about you. So do you practice? Do you have clients? Like, what do you do in that field? Anything?
1: No, yeah, I was trained, I got my PhD uh, in 05. And I was trained to be the type of clinical neuropsychologist that would be in a hospital testing patients who've had various brain injuries. Mm -hmm. So whether it's a stroke, or a gunshot wound or a car accident like that, that was my specialty. I worked a lot, lots of pediatrics Um, I trained in New York City at Mount Sinai Medical Center on their traumatic brain injury unit. Mm. And so I was kind of prepared to take that route. But I had been speaking already from the time I was in college, even before the PhD program. And I kind of knew it was a career from people like our mutual friend, Kevin Wanzer, like you could do this for a living. And so like as the speaking was growing while I'm finishing my PhD, I, I faced this kind of pivotal moment in my life where I'm like, okay, I have to make a decision. You got to pick a lane. You can't be both. I tried for one year. I was doing a Mm -hmm. postdoc part-time and then I was speaking and doing stand up in clubs part-time and nobody was happy.
0: Yeah. So including yourself, probably.
1: Yeah. And especially my wife, she was ready to kill me because I'm away all week. And then on the weekend, yeah, lots of fun to be in the green room or doing some conference somewhere. uh, But you know, you can't live life like that. And it's not responsible either to be a psychologist with people who need you and then say, oh, my flight got delayed from Toronto. I won't be back, you know, for your, yeah. your right. session.
0: Has it helped you having that background when you're talking to people, you can tell pretty quickly into the conversation that they have something going on. Maybe they're an anxious person. Maybe they, you can tell they have mental illness or or something like that.
1: Yeah, and I think as a neuropsychologist, I think, unfortunately, uh, you know, I have the ability to see, people with possible deficits, maybe even before they do, and Mm -hmm. it's happened in my family, not once, but twice, where I see a dementia coming down the road. And, you know, it gives me no pleasure to to share this with people I love. And I don't want to assume it, uh, of folks, when you meet someone, you don't always know, especially in schools, right? Like, I've had situations where I'll, I choose volunteers all the time to come up and help me. And I've had teachers or administrators try to interfere with me picking a student, let's say, who has autism. And I'm like, look, I don't care, you know, I'm not up here, uh, you know, judging. And if the kid, yeah. I'll handle with whoever comes up, like it's fine. Yeah. But they assume that the kid is gonna do something, embarrass themselves. And it's like, no, you hired a psychologist for a reason. Like, I mean, it's gonna be fine. Yeah. Um, so I try not to judge in those moments, but in other moments where I see people deteriorating or struggling and I'm like, oh boy, I have to say something and that's right. rough.
0: How often are you on the road?
1: you know, I mean, post COVID -COVID. this year has been the busiest year of my career. And I I lucked out and I got a lot of contracts in New Jersey. I live in Princeton. And so a lot of work, I'm centrally located. So I spent a lot of time driving this year. Um, I don't know, 200 presentations a year, probably. Yeah.
0: How do you keep yourself from going crazy? That's a lot of time in front of an audience. It's
1: a lot of travel, a lot of expense reports. You got to keep it fresh. As for as the material, if I come up yeah. with a new joke or a new thing to try, I'm going to go out and do it and do it right away. And so that keeps it interesting. Yeah. I also enjoy certain hobbies like surfing when I can get to the coast. I mean, that makes me always get excited or a great restaurant somewhere. So what is your process? A lot of stand-up comedians, they always carry a little booklet.
0: Some use voice memos on your phone. So when something happens that's funny to you or you come up with a funny thought,
1: how do you track it? So if I all have my phone, I'll, I'll put it in the notes section. But yeah, I have a little uh, notebook, one of those moleskin. Oh, uh, yeah. And I start jotting it down. But then, of course, it's just like a like a whisper. It's like a thought. And it's like, OK, that's going to work. Let me try it. And then I put it out there. And if the second I start trying it, like you can feel this energy. It's like, oh, I, I got something. Let's go with this. Yeah. And then uh, I try it again the next time and expand upon it and see if I can link it to an existing bit that works. That's right. So who are some of your favorite comedians
0: all time, but also anybody current right now that you just think is so funny? Gosh. And then there's, there's a lot of them.
1: There's so many to choose from. Like from the early days, Steve Martin was probably the first stand stand-up yeah. that I had his tape. It was, I swear it was an eight track. Mm-hmm. <laughs> an eight track? <laughs> it was. It was my brother's eight track of um, Wild and Crazy Guy, I don't know if that's the title of the, the, the album, but that was the first time I listened to stand up over and over again. And then from there, it was, you know, I mean, you name it, prior to, you know, Carlin. And then what got me in thinking that maybe I should try stand up is watching Seinfeld. Okay. I mean, every episode, multiple times, and I would see him do stand up on the show. And I would think like, here's a normal guy, doing jokes, right? Like it wasn't he didn't have some personality like Bobcat Goldthwaite that like I can I it's not me. I can't be the guy. He had a, a sort of a normal personality, thoughtful guy and like hmm, maybe maybe I could try someday. I didn't think I would, but certain things yeah. fell into place in my life where it was like, hmm, you know, let me give it a shot. And I realized Seinfeld's like a oh he's a workman. He puts in the work.
0: Yeah you and can really
1: I didn't realize how much time goes into writing jokes.
0: Right. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is read biographies, sorry, autobiographies by comedians. Cause it's fascinating. Cause they, every comedian seems to come from a place of hurt and pain and to hear their stories. I know you've written some books, but do you also share the personal side of, you know, what life was like for you growing up and being a teenager?
1: No doubt. No people doubt. often ask me like, Oh, what did your parents do to get you to get a PhD? I'm like, I don't know, emotional neglect. Right. They pretty much <laughs> ignored me. <laughs> and, uh, it created this desire to want to get attention. Because my yeah. brother got all the attention. He's older and he was making all kinds of mistakes and, you know, scaring them. And so like I was the second child who was in many ways, you know, forgotten about for a period of time. Yep. And and it made me work so hard to to do something with that that void. Right. And and an yeah. audience does fill it for brief periods of time when you're doing well. Um, I I am someone who's fascinated by this topic because I created a live show called what's so funny it's it's a mental health comedy show basically where comedians perform and then i as a psychologist analyze their material Uh,
0: that is great
1: so i'll come up afterwards and i'll say yeah that thing you said about your mom like what's what's the real story there we'll kind of delve into it a little bit because every comic's got that like some damage that gave rise to this sense of humor i want
0: to watch that (laughs) That's sort of like your version of Three Mics. Did you watch Three Mics? Oh, I love that special,
1: special. yeah.
0: Yeah, so good. Um, So your book, and I don't normally promote things on the show, but I have to mention your book, Life is Disappointing and Other Inspiring Thoughts. Might be the greatest book title ever.
1: Thank you. And I will tell you that my father didn't get it. And I knew it was right. The second he said, I don't get (laughs) it. It's perfect.
0: (laughs) That's right. You need that person in your life. If they don't understand, you know, it's going to be a big hit. So speaking of books, have you ever read this book that I'm holding up in my hand right here? Live from New York.
1: I've read segments of that book. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's like 900
0: pages, but um, this is a great book. It's the complete uncensored history of Saturday Night Live. And you and I both have that in common, that we both love that show. We love sketch comedy. We love comedy And if you love music also, it was a great place to find new artists. And so the podcast that we both have in common, that we both love, is Fly on the Wall with Dana Carvey and David Spade. So first, let's talk about SNL. When did you first realize, this is a show I get, this is a show I want to watch every week?
1: Oh, gosh. I mean, do you remember
0: the season? Do you remember your age?
1: Sure, sure. No, I can remember being a kid, and I was always the youngest because my brothers older, my cousins are older. It seemed like everybody was older, but that was great because if we'd go to like a dinner party and it was late on a Saturday night, you know, I got a chance to see John Belushi, right. uh, Dan Aykroyd, and I knew I wasn't supposed to be up that late. I knew some of the jokes were. It was dangerous. Like, yeah, they were like maybe inappropriate, but I was all in. Yeah, I couldn't get enough of it, and there was this excitement of of sketch an energy to it when it was going well that was like oh my gosh like i've never seen anything like this um so for me it evolved into i'm a kid who chose not to drink into drugs and mm-hmm. high school college and beyond so anyone with that kind of background takes to snl because you're not the one at the party on a saturday night at 11 30. you're likely oh, the one who went home at 11 you know because you got something the next day you're just not feeling it at this party so you'd watch SNL and I wouldn't miss an episode.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Me either. I used to tape them. I had VHS tapes filled with them and go back and watch them over and over again and learn the characters. So I, I really got into it in season 10. Um, Certainly I knew about it before, but that's the, I don't think Lauren was back yet. I think Lauren was off from season six to 10. Uh, Mm -hmm. He was on a hiatus, Uh, but this was the Billy Crystal, Martin Short, Christopher Guest, Harry Shear season where they really bought in, brought in some big hitters that were already kind of famous and known, but they were so good. And the characters were so great. And I was just, I was hooked for life after that. Have you ever been there to see it live?
1: I have not. I I will say that I feel fortunate that I I wrote a script one time. I'm not, I'm not a script writer, but I Mm -hmm. had an idea for this uh, sketch that could work. And I reached out to a comedian friend of mine who knew a writer on the show who gave it to him and i was like really blown away by that it didn't ever made air i don't know what came of it but it was like one of those moments where like within a matter of a few days i went from writing it to basically handing it over to a guy who writes on snl
0: yeah would it still work today or is it a little
1: dated yeah like it's not that old. It okay <laughs> it, pre-pandemic i went to a, a yoga class at lululemon sure in town in, in, in princeton and it, which is like you know, the most PC place you could imagine in in a PC town already. And we go in there and the guy who was the yoga, because a free yoga class on a Sunday morning, the guy who's yoga instructor was like this ex-military, like totally edgy, inappropriate guy. And it was hilarious. The things he was saying (laughs) were like borderline racist and commenting (laughs) on the women. And it was like, oh my gosh, like, and this was really happening? It. it really happened. I went home that day and I was like, I have to write a sketch about this because it's almost like at some point we're looking around like, wait a minute, did this guy like sneak in here? Is he even a yoga instructor? I know, is like, he
0: still <laughs> employed? It, it had to have been a gag. And right? he wasn't
1: even good at yoga. Like he was like falling over in parts. Like it was <laughs> it wasn't really over. Funny.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so why, why do you think uh, Saturday Night Live means so much to us? Not just to you and me, but to everyone.
1: Before the Daily Show, you know, before all this, like you know, finding humor in everyday politics, it was like a way for the country to let the air out after you know stressful week, um, just to poke fun at it because satire has this brilliant effect on us. Like it makes mm-hmm. us feel like we're going to be okay. Yeah. we can make fun of this thing. Yep, it's a great coping mechanism.
0: Uh, and my favorite part of the show, still to this day, is the good nights. There's mm. something about watching everybody after a week, working late nights, putting it all together, having a successful show, and they're hugging and they're waving. And I couldn't help but when I was a teenager, imagine myself on that stage, you know, oh, and sure. wanting to feel that camaraderie. So what you say about the kids who would leave the party early and not go to the party and watch at home, we were on stage with them at the end of the show to a certain degree.
1: Now, that's a great point. You know, I, I lived in New York City for nearly 10 years and I did stand-up in clubs. And the one thing that I always kind of fascinated me was it's such an impersonal city
0: where mm-hmm. you don't even want
1: to look at people, but yet you get in the club, in the basement, you're telling jokes with each other and you feel like you're a family all of a sudden, like mm-hmm. we're New Yorkers right. and you watch that right. show, even in the beginning when they're announcing people, it looks like, Hey, this is a family and they're yeah. laughing together and they're joking again at night. They're all together on stage. And I thought, man, that's what everybody wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. So we've got
0: Dana Carvey, who is probably, if you would go through and make a ranking, he'd be in your top 10, right? Yeah. Sure. David Spade, who probably wouldn't be simply because he didn't have the type of characters, right? Uh, It took him a while to get started. And then he was so typecasted as the snarky Hollywood Minute guy, right? And that Mm -hmm. really blew up his fame. Uh, What do you think of their chemistry on Fly on the Wall? So let's first talk about what Fly on the Wall is.
1: Yeah, so... It's a podcast where they delve into the little stories um, of their days at SNL, but they bring on guests. It has all three qualities of of great podcasts, right? Mm -hmm. So first and foremost, they have information. The two of them alone can give you insight into that show that you would rarely get from anyone else, right? Then they bring on great guests that can add to that conversation and bring you stories that you didn't never even heard of you can't even believe what you're listening to them and the third thing is there's conversationalists at a level that especially david spade where they're just so just there's an ease to it like they're funny and they're witty and they just know when to like make fun of themselves and it's like gosh like i can listen to them all day long yeah
0: yes spade has won me over
1: uh i
0: i didn't really know what to make to make of him simply because his stand up act, he was like I said, he was kind of mean, not mean. Yeah, he, would, he could be nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, his best, the best jokes are the ones that he says under his breath and that nobody right. even hears. Oh, they're it's they're so they're so good, they're so funny. And I read his autobiography too, and it was fascinating. It was a great read, it was hilarious. Um, and the two of them together, at first I thought, okay, you're gonna bring on two hams that love the attention, but they make it work. Right. You never yes. feel like one dominates the other. And then sometimes in interviews, I notice it's mostly Dana asking the questions and sometimes David just takes over. So it, it's nice that way. Do you have favorite guests that have come on the
1: show? Sure. Oh, gosh. I mean, they
0: because they Lauren... bring on a lot of the A-listers, but then yeah. sometimes they bring on someone who was like a lesser known cast member.
1: Right. Yeah. They they had Lauren Michaels. I yeah believe. the lauren michaels interviews yeah, yeah that was i'm trying to remember when that was exactly and
0: everyone it. does a lauren michael invitation and they're all yeah. funny
1: and they both they both have one too <laughs> yeah but and they go back like a dueling lauren um which is great I, I i listened to the um the alec baldwin one recently mm-hmm. and he's another one it's so good at telling a story but the insight that you get from that episode was just how nervous alec baldwin was to be around david spade and dana carvey and you're like that's so interesting because you thought he's a movie star you know he's he's not going to have a lack of confidence no he was just as insecure as the rest of them and his story i found really funny too was about um how alec baldwin always dreamed of being on the cast like what would it be like to be part of this family and every week be on this brilliant cast and then all of a sudden uh trump gets elected And he basically rolls over in bed at three in the morning, realizes Trump's got elected. And his next thought is, oh, my God, I have to be on the show now because Lauren had asked him for the last few weeks to do the the impression. And now he's locked in. He's like, oh, my God, I have to do this for like years now. And his wish had finally come true. And he's completely miserable about it. Uh And that just cracks me up so much. Right, right. And he was so good at it. All the Trump imitators. Well,
0: Trump himself lends himself to be pretty easily parodied. Right Sure, um, don't you feel like Dana on the show is pushing too hard for his Biden to take off? Have you noticed that? He does his Biden invitation <laughs> yeah. quite a bit. He' it's does, not yeah, as good as his Dennis Miller, for
1: sure, probably the one thing that I would say I would never give these guys notes. but there's times when he works a little too hard. And in comedy, when you try a little too hard, we all know it tends to fall flat. And when Dana doesn't try hard, like he's just like, throw away. I'm just gonna yeah. that's when he's the funniest, yeah. My yeah,
0: um, And the well's never ending because they, they'll never run out of guests in the sense that there's plenty of cast members. There've been so many hosts and then even the musical guests, I don't feel like they've mm-hmm. really tapped into that yet. That's what I'm hoping for.
1: It's true. And I know I'm, I'm getting old when like <laughs> new episode of SNL comes out. I'm like, wait, who is the musical? Guest? And I'm like, Oh yeah. Who's the host too? Like, Oh no, right. I don't know anybody. <laughs> there were a few weeks last year. I had no idea who the host was.
0: Never even heard of them. Yeah. You just age out at a certain point, Matt. Don't feel I bad about so. it. But you it's great. You should. get
1: to learn about them, at least. i can right. sound dope Right.
0: Um, I listened to the Ellen Cleghorn episode. Mm-hmm. So she was from the late 80s, maybe?
1: Yeah, um, I feel like early 90s or yeah. somewhere
0: in there. And what's great is that she is now, I believe, teaching in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. She's teaching college. And so here you have someone who made it to Saturday Night Live, right? And then so many other people, the Sandlers and the Sandbergs of the world, they go on and they do movies and they do TV shows. And she, I think, was just like, I'm good. I tapped out. I got to do this. And now I'm going to lead a, a semi-normal life. And probably her students don't recognize her, right? Unless they've got the Peacock app and they're going <laughs> and watching lots of former episodes. Uh, would you rather go back and be a cast member or be a host? Like if you had- a choice in the matter.
1: You know, the tough thing is cast members are usually in their 20s. And I feel like I had such anxiety back then that I probably would not have performed well, um, at all because my anxiety would have interfered. And, and they talk about, oh, every cast member gets a, has a panic attack. Oh, you Bill know, Hader. That's your known for sketch that. gets cut. Yeah. So I just don't know that I could have performed in my twenties with that level of anxiety. So I would say host later on in life when I had more confidence and realized none of this matters, right? Everything's right. going to be fine.
0: Yeah. So do you think that someone who doesn't know a lot about SNL could get something out of fly on the wall and enjoy
1: it? I, I do because a lot of the times they're talking about things that, that we all can relate to or famous sketches, you know, they're not going into the, yeah. Weeds they made it into pop point. culture. history. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're talking about the things that we all kind of know, But then giving you sometimes an interesting backstory that anybody can can appreciate. Yeah. I went to see it live once, but I I wasn't
0: in the audience. I was in like the upstairs green room because my brother had a friend that was a writer on the show. So got us in there. So it was really hard to see from where we were. And it was the episode where Val Kilmer was hosting. And you, too, was the musical guest.
1: Oh my yeah. Gosh. Which was
0: awesome. And Bono came off the stage and you know, he went up to the camera and he walked around through the crowd. It was really, really cool. But it was amazing how many famous people were just walking around, milling about, you know, coming mm. to say hi. At one point, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman came into the room just to pop their head in because I think they were thought they thought they were at the real green room. But instead, it was just the place where we we're hanging out. They ran out very quickly. Right. But it was like, oh, wow, oh, this is really like royalties coming in here. So have you ever seen Spade or Carvey in person, in concert?
1: No, no. I, I saw a lot of SNL um, cast members in person in my years in New York. And even once in Montreal at the Just for Last Festival, I saw uh, Michael Che okay. walking around, but I, I never saw Dana or David. No.
0: Did you have a favorite news anchor?
1: Well, I think people in my age cohort probably lean towards norm mcdonnell yeah. or uh, colin quinn okay that, yeah because that's when we were just maybe becoming more aware of the news like the early the early anchors like they were funny but i just didn't follow the news enough to appreciate mm-hmm. the stories but by the time i started getting into it you know colin quinn i i loved and of course norm it was always fascinating that like the the executives at nbc didn't like him he was upsetting them with all his oj jokes but i thought it was brilliant
0: yeah yeah Colin Quinn always looked so uncomfortable and that's what I love the most. You could, you could tell he's like, come on, why aren't you guys getting this joke? Like you could yeah. his personality. It was a perfect vehicle for his personality. Well, that's fly on the wall. It's everywhere right now. It's growing in popularity and it is really the show that I tune into every week. It's my go-to. Um, so what we're going to do, Matt, is we're going to take a little break and when we come back, we are going to play a little game. Okay.
1: Got it. From this.
0: Listeners, are you like me? Do you get annoyed when driving sometimes? When I'm cruising down neighborhood streets, there are things that drive me crazy. When people turn their signal on after they break. Coming up to an intersection, the driver in front of me breaks, starts to turn, then turns on the signal. That's not how it's supposed to work. Stop lights that aren't on timers. My light turns green, but then I have to stop 12 seconds later at the next red. Not good for flow, but at the top of this list, The thing that gets my goat the most when I'm driving? Squirrels. I think squirrels are pretty impressive creatures. They are agile, can climb anything, make adorable clicking sounds, and amaze me with their leaping abilities from branch to branch. I love to watch them frolic. But if we're being honest, when it comes to traffic, squirrels are dumb. I see him sitting there by the side of the road, He hears me coming, but instead of running back into the woods where it's safe, he runs to the other side of the street at the last second. How many accidents are caused by these rodents? Squirrels, I find you adorable, but please stay in the yard where you belong. It's for your own good. And now, back to the show. Matt, it's time for some fun and games. This is where the two of us play a game, and the point total is very important. In order for you to win the grand prize, you have to score 50 points. And the grand prize is the thrill of winning. Sounds like a future chapter in your next book. The Disappointment of Winning.
1: (laughs) Sounds like a a limited budget over there. Oh my
0: gosh, it's so limited. Uh, So the game that we're going to play is called The Question is it's kind of like jeopardy in the sense that i'm going to give you an answer and then you have to come up with the question if your question is funnier or more creative than my question you get points so you don't have to be right you just have to be good Hmm. i will give you 15 points for incorrect answers that's fine as long as they are good answers does that make sense I
1: think All so. All right, so you,
0: you don't get any partial credit. You can't lose points. We're trying to get 50. Each question is worth 15 points. So we're gonna warm up with an easy one. All right. Every four years, this happens when we get an extra day added to the calendar.
1: And so I would say what is what is blank? Yeah. So every four years this happens this and happened. we get an
0: extra day added to the calendar.
1: <laughs> oh God. I mean, of course, what is leap year is the answer. That's the but correct answer. You're, you're so looking... you, you
0: could get 15 points just for saying that. But yeah, if you say something the, creative.
1: The lame, <laughs> something creative uh, that happens every four years that we get an extra day added extra to the calendar. Yeah. Um, I would say... You know, you know, it's got to be funny though. The presidential election—that's not funny. There's nothing. No, it's horrible, isn't it? No, yeah. We should get an extra day. I think for all All the time we have to listen to the (laughs) debates and all the ads on TV, we should get an extra day. I feel like
0: they take a day away. I feel like they take a year off of our life. All right, so that was just the intro question, just to make sure that you get how it works. So here we go. You already have 15 points though, because you did get that correct. Answer number two. Little Rock. Little Rock. Yes. What is the question? The question is...
1: Little Rock. Uh, What is the name of the rock's genitalia? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) You
0: know what? The answer that I gave was the nickname Dwayne Johnson gave his daughter, Little Rock. But your answer was much better. His genitalia for 15 points. All right, here we go. (laughs) The, the answer is 200 to 350 million. What is the question?
1: I think it's the Tonight Show.
0: Uh-huh. Ooh, Carson, what is the question? The,
1: the answer is. And Karnak says, mm. that's terrible. 200 <laughs> to 300 million? Was that the number? Right, right. Yes.
0: 200 to 350 million. That is the answer. Okay. Karnak says,
1: oh, open the envelope. 350 million. What is the number of people that will Trump will say voted for him in the next election?
0: (laughs) That is correct. Forty (laughs) five points. Very well done. The true question is, um, what is the estimated value of the Hope Diamond? Oh, yeah. But your answer was better. Oh, you're dominating this show. Here we go. I would have
1: guessed that though. I never would have guessed the Hope Diamond.
0: Here's the answer. So long, partner. So long, partner. So long, partner. So, so the question part.
1: is what uh <laughs> what will my wife say <laughs> in her dreams when she's imagining us getting divorced? <laughs> <laughs> so long. <She's>... Partner.
0: <laughs> so long partner.
1: So it long ex partner. Yeah, it won't be a weepy no, <laughs> no, it's a so long partner. Finally. Okay, detached... i won't accept that. You... Goodbye. No, she. By the way, she wouldn't laugh at that. She'd be like, "That's not nice. I would never do that." Well, okay.
0: the the answer the question is: What is the last line Woody says in the movie Toy Story three? Oh. But again, your answer was much more heartfelt and better. So you're up to sixty points. You've already won. Here we go. The answer is a bagel with two scrambled eggs.
1: A bagel with two
0: scrambled eggs. That's
1: right. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. What? What? uh what <laughs> I, i'm trying to say something about my kids who oh. i'm i'm italian my wife's jewish so i was trying to connect the oh, bagel to being jewish uh-huh. but the scrambled eggs doesn't go with italian so i, I have to concede this one I, a pizza bagel is what they usually call you know a family like mine where you have the kids oh i didn't know that jewish okay after. But the well, as long part. as your
0: answer about two scrambled eggs isn't another reference to the Rock's genitalia, that'd be nice. <laughs> <Don't> do- <laughs> so what is your question? A bagel with two scrambled eggs?
1: Bagel with two scrambled eggs.
0: It, you've mean, already won, so you can pass if you want to.
1: I, I want to pass, yeah. You want to pass, I okay. I don't want to I don't want to
0: force it like Dana Carvey. No, no, no. I no. something lame. But, uh, the question was, what did I have for breakfast this morning? Ah, really? There's no, no, no way bagels. You- bagels any good out there in... Any no, I get the Thomas bagels. They seem to be not bad. Get them at the grocery store. But yeah, there's, you know, I gotta go into New Jersey to get some real yeah, bagels. Right. All right, here we go. Two more. Mad About You, Wings, Seinfeld, Cheers, Frasier. And if you want to be legitimate with this one, you can.
1: What is uh what my that is what is my schedule when I was a single man? <laughs> that was <laughs> That was my Uh, evening as a single man. That is
0: an excellent answer. Uh, The real answer is that was the first ever lineup of must-see TV Mm -hmm. on NBC in 1993, but also your complete social life.
1: Yeah, That was my social life.
0: And then finally, Matt, here we go. Here's the answer. If you're planning a White Lotus Sicilian vacation, just promise you'll eat somewhere other than the hotel. (laughs)
1: <laughs> what is the question? <laughs> what is the question to that? That's a very funny question. Uh, oh man, what is what I tell, what what is the line that I give all of my friends who now are visiting Palermo, Sicily <laughs> <laughs> because of White Lotus? That's
0: correct. <laughs> that is what you tweeted on January 1st, 2023. Nice very research, good. Mark. That's right, a little research there. That show is insane. It's such a beautiful place. And they're, you don't eat at the hotel. You don't sleep at restaurants. That's the number one rule of travel.
1: Oh, my gosh. Especially in Sicily, where the food is so vibrant. Like the idea. Now, I'm sure the hotel food is fine. I've been in a hotel in Sicily where the food was good. But... Come on. There's like a I mean, and there's prostitutes
0: running around that hotel and people are falling off of boats and- Oh, it's, it's all just, happening there, isn't it, right? So, so dangerous. That was a fun game. I hope I didn't make you sweat too much. No, that was good. Thank you, Matt Bellis. We can find you on Twitter and Instagram at, at Matt Bellis, right? At Matt Bellis. I'm That's the only one. That's B-E-L-L-A-C-E. You're the only one. You're the only one that matters. There's probably other ones well, out there.
1: There's two others but like one is in Alaska and apparently has been arrested a few times. Hmm. And there's, there's another one who's kind of middling, you know, he's in Pennsylvania somewhere, doesn't do much with it. But like, I think I'm the one who, who gets, I literally get their mail sometimes. Like I had one of them got bi- insurance bills for healthcare co- and they find me online because as a dope, I put everything out there. Right, right. So
0: Did oh, you take care of it though, just as a kind gesture <laughs> or no?
1: Be, uh, be the bigger bellus. I'll take That's care right.
0: of your bill. <laughs> be the bigger bellas. Well, thank you, Matt. This was so much fun. I appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure.
0: This was the season one pen ultimate episode of Podfulness. Season one is coming to a close. So next week will be the last episode of our first season. And I have a very special guest lined up. We will review the first season, we'll analyze what worked and what didn't, and we'll set our sights on season two. Who is that special guest next week? I'm gonna ruin the surprise for you right now and tell you, it's me. Yeah, you got your hopes up, didn't you? Sorry, I hope my voice returns by then. That would be nice. Until that time, a special thanks to Matt Bellis for joining me on this 25th magical episode. And of course, a big thanks to you, for listening. Somehow, Podfulness made your podcast rotation, and I am very grateful for that. My name is Mark Bernstein, and I will catch you next time on the season finale of Podfulness.